Are you ready to take your mindset to an even higher level on and off the mat? Then you're ready for the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, where business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs open their minds to new ideas and concepts that will help you during your entrepreneurial journey and during your consistent pursuit of becoming the best version of yourself personally and professionally. It's time to go beyond the mat with the host of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, Gustavo Dantas. Welcome to episode 14. I'm your host, Gustavo Dantas, and you're listening to the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast. The BJJ Mental Coach Podcast is a proud supporter of the nonprofit organization Live Jiu Jitsu. Live Jiu Jitsu supports social projects in Brazil and the United States who offer free Jiu Jitsu classes to unprivileged children and young adults in impoverished communities, helping to keep them away from drugs and crime and to inspire them to pursue their goals and dreams. Your donation helps projects to buy new mats, geese, and tournament registrations. As a supporter, the BJJ Mental Coach donates all the profit of t-shirts and patches sales to Live Jiu-Jitsu. For more information, please visit www.liveju-jitsu.org. It's www.liveju-jitsu.org. Let me introduce you to today's guest, Mikey Gomez. Mike is a black belt from Gracie Baja, an entrepreneur and marketing director at Axienta Financial Partners. Mikey was born in Santa Barbara, California and moved to Paraguay when he was five, where he was raised. He struggled with asthma growing up, which was exactly what pushed him to become a healthier child and a professional athlete in his later years. He is one of the trailblazers to bring Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu to Paraguay at the young age of 15 and the first person from there to fight internationally. In 2001, Mikey moved to Florida and began training with Marcio Simas at Gracie Baja. He earned his black belt in 2006. A former MMA fighter with over 30 fights, Mikey has fought in Bellator and he was the Cage Warrior Welterweight Champion. He won the IBJJF Nogi Nationals in the black belt division at the Super Heavyweight in 2010. Today, Mikey is a leader and a motivational speaker who is passionate about helping his community. Welcome to the podcast, Mikey. Thanks, my man. Um, I feel so honored, as I mentioned to you, uh, the first time we got in touch together to be involved in this podcast. And because um, you're doing wonderful things, man. And I've been following what you've been doing for a long time mm-hmm. uh, because I've been here since 2001. And you were either here around that area or maybe like a few. Yeah, I came in 99. Uh, there you go. So yeah. I've seen, you know, just you doing the work. Uh, from far away. So it's really awesome, man. And you transforming that into uh, helping the jiu-jitsu community to uh, start thinking differently. Awesome. And, and I reach out to you too, because I see Facebook and especially Instagram doing your thing, motivating people, trying to inspire people. So I appreciate that. And I said, yeah, let's, let's bring it here and see what you got. And uh, so tell us how JJ show up in your life. I mentioned a little bit in the intro, but can you expand on that? Yeah. So, um, as you mentioned, I was born in Santa Barbara. And then uh, when I was five, my parents went back to Paraguay. So I was raised there. I didn't really have a choice to uh, stay here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, um, we moved back over there. And then my parents got divorced when I was uh, around around that, around six. And um, so I was born with asthma, but I needed a very strong emotion to uh, help make a development in my, in my system, either of happiness or of sadness. And that was the day that I had my first asthma attack when he left home and uh, wow. I woke up in the hospital. So ever since, I've been a very sick 
kid and you know how it is in South America, or at least especially in Paraguay at the time, you, if you either play soccer or you play soccer, mm-hmm. <laughs> There's no, there wasn't any other options. And as an asthmatic kid, I couldn't run. But mm-hmm. I was so hyper and, um, and I love martial arts because I, I guess I, I wasn't good at any other sports or I, and uh, watching the movies and karate kid Van Damme, you know, like the weak kid that's mm-hmm. helping and saving the world and he gets the girl and whatnot. So I really, I really wanted to be good at, at something. And those were, you know, um, the things that pushed me to jump into martial arts. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and exactly what year was jujitsu? Okay, so um, I did a little bit of Taekwondo when I was about 12, 13, 11 years old, actually, uh, because my doctor at the time told my mom that she had another patient that was doing karate and the stretches were helping her out. Mm-hmm. So I was like, sweet, I finally get to train some kickboxing. But um, there was, you know, it's hard to find kickboxing even here, legitimate kickboxing. And uh, I found Taekwondo. Then fast forward a few years later, I saw UFC one, two and three, like majority mm-hmm. of the people from around that time. Mm-hmm. And I saw um, Hoist, right? A guy that would just kind of has my build nowadays and he's just kicking butt. Yep. So um, I was into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but there wasn't any Jiu-Jitsu in Paraguay. My city, Ciudad del Este, city of the east, it actually borders Brazil right mm-hmm. there on the south. And um, you can come in and out of the country. It's, it's super fine right there and Argentina. So we surround all three right there within like um, – 15, 20 minute uh, drive within all three of them. So I was still in high school. This is in 98. I was uh, 15 years old. My friend was already training jujitsu. He could drive. So he would go to Brazil back and forth. He was a, a blue belt, him and another friend that were a little bit older than me. And then um, on New Year's Eve of 1997, we met this Brazilian guy that's actually from your team, Marcos Broa. He's from mm-hmm. Novo Union. He was yep. living out there and uh, he was a there were there are no black people in Paraguay, like African people, mm-hmm. you know, uh, they don't exist. Either they're Indians like me or Spaniards. And so there's a huge black guy now that's working at the club on the weekends. So it, it just attracted people towards him. You know, it's very different and, and, and it's awesome. And we're very normal with it. Or what can I say? Not normal, but it's common for us because Brazil is right there. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I see this guy. I'm into martial arts. I'm a kid. And, you know, you can go to parties when you're younger out there or to mm-hmm. clubs. If you have a little bit of facial hair at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, talking to this guy, he, you know, he was he was super legit. He lost to Paulo Filho at the Worlds and Purple Belt in the finals. And then as a brown belt, I believe he got third. So he was super legit guy. He was teaching. Uh, we talked all night long. And um, on January 3rd of 1998, we found Matt's and my friend's dad was a president of a country club and he let mm-hmm. us put the mats there. We just started paying them and we started training around 17 friends mm-hmm. all at once. And that's how it started out there. How do you feel BJJ relate to life? Especially you have this unique experience of how jiu-jitsu really was helpful to you growing up with your asthma. So how do you feel BJ relate to life? Oh my God, man. Uh, Jiu-Jitsu, it's, it's literally everything. And people may think I'm biased, but 
I remember the first I was training martial arts, Taekwondo, right, for years. And I would only, and I was a sick kid, and I would only get like a little sweat here. And mm-hmm. after my first Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu session, man, I was drenched. And I was so proud of myself and happy that I was able to s- squeeze my T-shirt. Mm-hmm. And there was a little bit of sweat coming out because then that was the closest to me to look up like my friends that were super athletic and awesome at sports, mm-hmm. you know, because I'm a hyper kid or a hyper guy now, but I was a hyper kid and I had a lot of energy, but I literally physically couldn't run more than five minutes. So anyway, that was exciting, man. And I learned what I saw on TV, right? Uh, escape from the mount, past the guard. I mounted, I did a key lock and a choke and an arm bar. I was like, mm-hmm. oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> but how jujitsu really helped me was because uh, I was very claustrophobic. And mm-hmm. so this day, like air is something that it's very... If you haven't experienced it, it's hard for people to understand because I grew up literally every winter in Paraguay, I would be, if I had an asthma attack, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about life and death. Like if I'm going to make it another day when I was, you know, six, seven, eight, nine years old, that was every winter having people on top of you and grown men at the time, you know, it's, it's starting out in a place. So it's a variety of people that are training mm-hmm. and, um, all those struggles made me maybe become stronger and believe in myself. And I use the weakness that was my asthma in a sense, right? My weakness is actually yeah. what made me go through with everything that I set up myself to do because I would think of like this strong guy and he's a grown man and I was 16 years old. He's like choking me and I'm thinking he'll get tired. He's mm-hmm. never been through what I've been through as a kid. He's, he hasn't thought about life and death eventually I'll be able to get out of there. I'm stronger than him. So if you think about it, now that I understand the weakness right in my life or like a setback, it actually was the catalyst for me to achieve a lot of the mm-hmm. things that I've done and continue to do. That is awesome, man. And when did you have the spark to become an entrepreneur? I know that you had your professional fighting career as well, but when you had the spark that you wanted to go to that route? Oh man, um, you know, where I come from, it's a city that, as Brazilians joke around, right? Like you get fake stuff and whatnot because the mm-hmm. commerce is so big out there. And w- me growing up over there in the 90s, uh, Ciudad del Este was the city that moved more money daily in the entire world. That's crazy. People never even heard of Paraguay. And I think the first one was New York, then Hong Kong, and then my city because it was mm-hmm. so corrupt. So basically wow. you had everything that you can get in America technology-wise or vehicles, whatever, and everything that can't come in, you get everything out there, as mm-hmm. you know. So yep. I grew up around entrepreneurs. Because like I said, that place is so unique and, and special and different. And you either have so much money or you have no money, right? Mm-hmm. And I was fortunate enough to grow up uh, pretty wealthy. My mom, I saw her bust her butt and give us everything. You know, we had little vacation homes, um, we had the trips, we had, um, uh, you know, summer trips and whatnot. And I, I, I was fortunate enough to go to a um, Catholic, um, Catholic private school as well. Mm-hmm. And you know how by association, that's how you move up in anything, right? Everything is networking. And um, my friends were very rich, you know, mm-hmm. like, as I said, I, I was fortunate enough to have everything. Like they have a super boat or yacht. We had a fishing boat and whatnot. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, so anyway, these people had so much money that 
I had friends that literally had a zoo in their house. Wow. A zoo, bro. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then you could see from like their window, like the other side of the country. You see, I mean, uh, Brazil on the other mm -hmm. side of the river. So I grew up around people like that. So I was fortunate enough to see that, how anything you set your mind into, and if you put in hard work, as a little boy, I saw that. You can, all you need to do is just work hard and whatever value you bring is going to bring you money. Then, um, so I've always had that, right? And my parents were business owners as well. We had like a arcade business, you know, like mm -hmm. um, uh, Dave and Buster's type place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, so I grew up like that, man. Like, for instance, I'll tell you a story. This guy, and he's a Novo Union black boy as well from Paraguay. We started around the same time, a little, a couple of years after me, he started. And uh, he was a little bit older than me, super cool kid, but a lot of struggles and fights. His dad uh, died from cirrhosis, drank too much. So mm -hmm. this kid, you know, was a troubled kid, handsome, good-looking cat. And then uh, he got away from all that and stopped drinking, cold turkey, started training jiu-jitsu. And he was already, you know, a tough kid and changed his life. Opened a little, started tinting windows. Then mm -hmm. was um, tending for someone else. Then he rented a spot at one of our friends' uh, place. He built a uh, place where you could put stereos and rims and all of that for the vehicles. And then this guy himself then got his place, bought, bought a home. And so you know what I mean? On every level, I saw that if you yeah. want to achieve something, you open your own business, figure something that you like, you work your butt off, and it'll work out. And you throw me now in a land of opportunity like America, mm -hmm. so it's easy peasy, man. <laughs> I know what you mean. Tell me, how was the transition to become an entrepreneur? Did any doubts or fears popped up? And if so, how did you handle it? And what was your biggest struggle during your journey? Okay, so um, I kind of went on a tangent in there. And, uh, <laughs> but just to give you a real good background on my mindset on how I got here. Um, so... As a fighter, I was always um, more business-minded, right? Because of where I grew up. If you don't know, you don't know. I grew mm -hmm. up around wealthy people, so I would hear things. I would hear my parents talk. So I had a little bit more of an advantage there, you know, instead of letting people just uh, take advantage of me like every other fighter would. Mm -hmm. um, so I started going on to um, – I was big, man. I made a lot of money, actually, for, for a short period of time, three years, and sponsorships and whatnot because of that mindset. Then – uh, and this is all through fighting. I also owned a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu school. I ran one that had about 1,200 students. And um, that was my life. So always selling T-shirts on the side. I remember training in, in Flamengo and seeing mm -hmm. Shaolin, for instance, and Robinho at the time. Even Leo Santos selling some T-shirts and whatnot. I'm like, oh, that's how you make it. you know. So I always also copied um, a lot of the uh, good things that I saw people that were uh, – excelling whatever I wanted to do so mm -hmm. then you fast forward that a little bit more and I was a professional fighter everything else and like everyone knows then that day was getting closer that that chapter is going to be closed mm -hmm. and um, I, had, I had a lot of struggles man I'll tell you because um, I made a lot of mistakes I was um, I was mismanaged but I and I used to think I didn't blame that gentleman for what happened in my career, but I actually did. Mm -hmm. And 
that's talking about shortcuts and whatnot. There are no shortcuts for anything. You got to take full responsibility for what you do. And that's what I did when I uh, went for my last run as a professional fighter and I quit my job and everything. And you got to be willing to, uh, to fall on your face when you're going for big dreams, you know, and it was already an uphill battle for me at the time. This is around 2013. I'm trying to make a last run in MMA. And um, I, I landed on my face. I, I lived in my car for about three months. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is because I, I couldn't go back home to crawling to my mom and like, hey, I messed up. And mm-hmm. by, you know, not just making all the right decisions, you know, I blew all my money away and whatnot. So I was thinking, what am I going to do next? Because I didn't know, like, it was, it's crazy, man. I saw everybody that's in my position right now in MMA kind of record, even with a better record with the age and whatnot, they're still swimming in run direction. So I said, let me go in the next or in the, in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. Just like I did uh, with fighting, you know, everybody was only partying and, and they were winning fights off of their uh, talents. Mm-hmm. So then I'm like, I got to do the extra work. I always liked going the opposite way of everyone. So that was a big struggle, man, staying in my car after being a cool kid for a while, but um, never learning about how money works. Mm-hmm. And that was, um, that was a big catalyst for me to, as I mentioned to you before, that was a big catalyst for me also to jump into this industry in which mm-hmm. I found I'm now I'm in uh, financial services because I didn't know how money worked. And because of those struggles, when you look in the struggles, you're always going to find opportunity. Mm-hmm. And uh, because there's when, when a door closes, it's literally re- true that one another door opens. So it's just up to us to search for that door every time we have setbacks. I think it's great, Mikey, that you took responsibility for some of the bad choices that you made, some of the mistakes that you made. You learned from it, you grew from it, and you moved on. And I know that sometimes in life we go through some different moments, at least I did, that I blame people too. And I did not take responsibility for some of the bad decisions that I made. And sometimes we can get caught into this vicious cycle of always blaming someone until I finally took full responsibility and see that it's my fault. You know, I have to learn from it and grow from it. Now, what is a one high performance habit that helped you to progress in jujitsu and life? Man, I'm ritual driven, you could Mm -hmm. say. I've always been like that. And um, I got off the path a little bit. And that's what life is anyway, I believe. Mm-hmm. We, we, we get on course and we get off course and we figure it out and we get back on course. Because that's what life, the cycle of life is. As far as I understand, there's ups and downs so far. Mm-hmm. What is the best advice you ever received? Always compete with yourself. My Taekwondo instructor actually told me that. Don't ever compete with any, anyone else. Always compete with yourself. Yeah, this is a great advice. And even thinking about jujitsu too, you know, competing for you to get better, you know, like how can I how can I improve if I did this this time? How can I do even better next time? So it is a great advice for like everything, all all areas of your life. Yeah, it helped me, man. That was uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh that was a huge catalyst for me till this day. Do better than what you did. Do better mm-hmm. than what you did. Cause at the end of the day, when I die the story is going to be written about me and everyone else, not just me. You know, it's, a, it's our choice. It's up to us to write a freaking blockbuster movie. Right. Yeah. But, um, 
at the end of the day, it's just going to be my story and whatever. Um, I'm pretty religious, but I'm, I'm not making a religious thing. You can call the universe, whatever. I believe that there's something after mm -hmm. uh, that energy doesn't die. It's just transfers. So um, I feel that you just got to do your best, man. Mm -hmm. The whole time until, until you, you, until life takes its course and mm -hmm. you wrote a beautiful movie by, by, uh, trying to beat yourself daily. What advice would you give to the younger Mikey? Let's say when you started your MMA career, based on this journey that you've been through fighting pretty much like 30 fights, what advice would you give to him? Um, uh, okay. So I actually just popped in my mind that, um, uh, you need to be obsessed with what you're doing, whatever it is. And there's healthy obsessions. Mm -hmm. And um, I was obsessed with fighting. And I truly believe that uh, if I continued with that obsession, I would have accomplished way, way more in, uh, in our sport. Um, because people around me, and this comes down to your environment, people around me were always telling me, hey, Mikey, uh, you have to be more, um, more balanced. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I can't be balanced. Remember, we're talking about 2001. I'm, there weren't, IBJJF wasn't here yet. So I'm thinking, no, there's somebody in Brazil that's training right now. I need to train harder because I don't have the, uh, I don't have the same, the same people around me, environment to train. So I have to do extra mm -hmm. to be able to go and compete at that level because I wanted to be a jiu-jitsu world champion. Right? That was my dream. So I was obsessed with that. And then... You stay in an environment, people keep influencing you, and you know friends are the biggest um, influences in your life and family, and they can't teach you what they don't know. Mm -hmm. So I, um, I started becoming more balanced, and uh, that was a big mistake, and that won't ever happen to me again. Mm. Balanced, you mean, uh, so you felt that you started to not commit as much to the training? Or what do you yeah, you know, like, oh, you got to have a little bit of a social life. You can't just train all the time. Oh, you got to, you know, you got to do this. Like, I would, I missed, you know, birthday parties because I had to compete or even weddings. And it might seem messed up, man, but those people weren't there when I was, when I was hungry. You know, and I'm not saying that you don't think about other people, but you need to also think about yourself and be prepared for any situation, you know, because at the end of the day, like I said, we come here alone and we'll go alone. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I always mention to people, too, is that there's a reason why not, you know, talking about being selfish or, or we're not, but. There's a reason why when the airplane is going down, they say, like, hey, make sure you put the mask when you first and then you put in everyone else if something happened with the flight because if you try to like do everyone else next thing you forget about your yourself so you got to do like hey i need to do what i need to do let me put the mask here and then i'll i'll help everyone else you know not everyone might agree with this but when you start getting overwhelmed and start making another choice or trying to please others or whatever you start forgetting about yourself so it's super important for people to stay centered in this way, to be like, hey, let me make sure that I put my mask here and then I can help others. Uh, I don't know if you have the habit of reading or audiobooks or not, but if you do, what is the one book that made a huge impact on you? I do have a huge uh, ha reading habit now, man, and it's, it's, it's amazing. And uh, um, 
it's sad to say, but um, not anymore because I, I, I picked it up. But I finished an entire book from start to end the first time in my life in 2015. Wow. Crazy, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but hey, that's, that's who I was. I'm not mm-hmm. embarrassed to say, and thank God Absolutely. I picked up a good habit. I, I, so I read uh, Think and Grow Rich. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you heard of the book? Yeah, yeah, I read it too. I have the audiobook too. Yeah, yeah it's man, it's it changed my life, and um, I apply those principles to my life, and it's the most sold business book ever, other mm-hmm. than the uh, other than the Bible, and it's been over for a hundred years, you know. And um, um, now I'm a ferocious reader, as I said, because I believe that leaders are readers, and ever since I've read 87 books so far. That's awesome. But Think and Grow Rich is the book that changed my life. Yeah. And I would advise anyone. Yeah, at read. the episode 10 with an interview with my, my brother, Hobson Mora, he mentioned about this being his favorite book too. And, awesome. and since I, I, I listen to you, know, one of the things that, because I, I prefer listening than reading, so I'm, I'm really into audiobooks. Okay. But yeah, it's uh, the, the main, the number one thing that Napoleon had mentioned about that book is the the number one is that burning desire. It starts with a burning desire. If you don't have that burning desire, it's going to be very challenged to reach that riches, as he mentioned, you know, in the book. So that burning desire, people understanding exactly like a, and being authentic to that desire of like, man, I have this, this burning desire inside. I have to execute on this. Some people don't, some people do, but people who don't, that might be regretting the end of their lives. So that's why I always, man, if something you want to do it, do it because uh, literally one life and the last thing you want is just to be at the end of your life, just questioning that. So yeah, for people who never had a chance to, to read, amazing book. And what are you currently excited about, man? What's going on? So I'm excited, man. With um, So I'm a big giver. As I said, you know, I love to help people. I wanted to be the the karate kid that helped the world and mm-hmm. got the girl. Like, you know, that was the kid's aspirations. Um, so that never changed. I feel like jujitsu really brought me in in this path. It's really a martial arts journey, as I say, or as people ask me, Mikey, hey, do you still train jujitsu? Are you still involved? And to me, it's like, of course, dummy. What do you think? Mm-hmm. But but they don't know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, fighting is just something I did along the way. What I really am is a martial artist. And I share this a little bit with you that I, um, as I get older, I understand more uh, mind, body, and soul, how they, they all get together. Because me, I literally try to figure out, man, life through through raising my wrist, man, and my, my fist and punching people in the face and getting punched. It's crazy, man. Mm-hmm. What kind of chip I probably had on my shoulder, you know, maybe I was mad. My parents were divorced. Who knows? But that was my way of trying to figure out life. Mm-hmm. You know, dad wasn't really around. There wasn't a father figure. I wanted to be tough. I never wanted to be a, a weak kid because I was sick. Mm-hmm. So I thought being strong and tough, it was the coolest thing and always help out the weak. So now I want to become a multimillionaire and I'm on my way of becoming one because money, man, just bring, just brings out more than who you are. Mm-hmm. If you're a jerk, it makes you a bigger jerk. If you're a nice guy, you just give more, you help more. And I want to, I want to help more. And I believe that in this world, you can get anything that you put in your mind, anything. Hence, you know, fighting was a big catalyst for me to really believe in that. Mm-hmm. Cause I was, 
man, I was a, I was scared, man. I was scared getting on there, in there, man. I'm I can't can't deny it, and my confidence just came from preparation. Mm-hmm. So I use all that preparation. I translate that, and I try to give back. Right, I'm talking about giving back. I want to make millions so I can give more. Mm-hmm. I really want to make sure my name is remembered, you know, in Brazilian jiu-jitsu because I love this sport. I've seen, as you know, better than me, you've been longer than me in this sport, you've seen this art really changes people's lives for the best. And um, so through Brazilian jiu-jitsu entrepreneurship, I want to make a lot of money so I can uh, help more. I have a nonprofit called Counterclockwise. I'm the co-founder of it. We... Um, I teach Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu actually like free self-defense seminars around middle schools, teach talking about bullying and about how you need to empower yourself because, um, you know, it's, it's sad and it needs to be taught and people need to learn like myself. Not everybody had their father around or maybe at home is a mess or whatever. So everyone needs a coach. And I, I really, I really believe in doing now, what you say you're going to do next. Oh, when I have money, I'll do this. Mm-hmm. When I have this thing, I'll do that. So my fiance and I figure like, no, we're about doing it. Let's go do right now. What we say when we're going to have more. Cause what if I die next weekend? Then I was full of shit. So that's what I'm doing. Right. I'm, I'm giving back and I want to give back. I have that, um, that nonprofit. And my dream one day is to put Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in every school here in America. So that can be as PE. So boys and girls know how to interact with each other from a young age and they can respect each other. And we can hopefully uh, um, make this place a better world. You know, I have big ambitions. Awesome. Man. And I definitely want to talk with you more about the nonprofit because I also am a co-founder of the nonprofit organization Live Jiu-Jitsu and have been helping projects in Brazil and U.S. So that's something that we definitely try to take to another level. And I'd like to know more. I had a meeting last week. There's one uh, one project that we help that's starting in Tucson now. They The school district wants to add Jiu-Jitsu and it started in two weeks with grades, they have jujitsu and personal development in Tucson, and they have another school that already wants to do it. But again, now we're, we're trying to find the funds, not just for the mats, but we need to get, yeah, there's people who can donate their time. But I mean, to have a solid program, we need to have some type of instructor that is going to be there with the kids. And so now we're in a process of getting all Tomorrow he's going to send me all the, the expenses. So we're going to see like, hey, what is the plan? So we have a lot of projects that we've been uh, working on right now. Yeah, really man. cool. Oh. And, um, and, and you mentioned too that, you know, you got involved in motivational speaking. So what, do, what is the main topic that you like to talk about? Um, I like to talk about uh, leadership mm-hmm. because... Um, through jujitsu, I became a leader and I've seen a lot of big leaderships in my, in my career, right? Mm-hmm. Especially now that I'm searching, because I believe when you start searching is when you start finding things, right? Mm-hmm. If you're not looking for something, you're not yeah. going to find it. And, uh, I started looking right with a different lens at everything. And I was fortunate to have a uh, master Carlos Gracie jr. As a, as a mentor and a leader. That I've seen what he's done, you know, and uh, the IBJJF and Grace Baja himself, for himself. Um, I also signed an organization in Novo mm-hmm. you know, that, and um, it's huge. 
you know, but what, what makes that, um, um, the team and that leader good is that he has to believe, mm-hmm. right? You got to sell a vision and stay true to it. And I believe that a, a, a real leader is a do it first leader. And that's why people follow you, Yeah, you know, and you, um, set the example. And, yeah. Yes. Yes. You set the example because, um, me, for instance, I, uh, I come from Gracie Baja school, right. But I wanted to do MMA. That's why I started jujitsu. So I worked with the resources I had back then in Orlando and we built a team and I was like, Hey, if they can do it, we can do it. Turn my butt off. And I got in there first. And then that led to guys to doing better than me. And I learned off my mistakes. All right, guys, we got to do it this way, this way, this way, you know, but I was also too tough for my own good. So I would make the mistakes, right? <laughs> like, yeah, let's go. I'll fight Andre Galvan three day notice. Let's go. Let's do it. You know, not, not the brightest <laughs> things to do, but point being, you know, but that's where I look back now. I'm like, wow, I was a leader mm-hmm. and I made so many mistakes back then because I've, I was young and I, I just didn't, you know, I'm like, I'm not really, I didn't know in the real role that I was in other than I understood when I was teaching kids, for instance, cause I taught for 17 years, I knew I was a leader then. Mm-hmm. And I always had to lead by example and everything else. And, um, we're also generation two, if you think about it, of MMA fighters and all tattoos and all that. And I just wanted to represent the sport well. You know, from every level, George Saint-Pierre was uh, conducting himself with his suits and all that. And us on the other divisions, you know, also bringing the sport up. Because I feel that it wasn't just one person that did it, as we know. It's everybody collectively who turned this thing to what it is today. For sure. And how can people know more about you if maybe someone that was listening or have a lot of business owners too, maybe have the desire to have you to speak in their companies or know more about your nonprofit so you're free to share anything you want right now yeah so they can reach out to me on my facebook at mikey gomez um i'm currently building my website right now so i don't have a website as as far i have uh, an instagram you can find me there at mikey gb uh that's mikey gb it's my instagram handle and my twitter i'm actually not using that much i should probably get better at it it's mikey <laughs> underscore gomez so you can find me there. I'm, I'm really about giving back. You know, as you've seen, I'm, I talk about a little bit about finance and how not to make, um, you know, major mistakes because it's unfortunate, but they don't teach us financial literacy. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's crazy to me that because that's a big necessity for us to live, right? Absolutely. In the past, we used to be able to hunt. And now I look at money as being, you know, hunting bullets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... So I'm, I'm very passionate about that, man, because it's, we're living longer and longer and longer and we don't, we don't learn any saving habits and not just saving because if you just save, you lose money because it doesn't keep up with inflation. So I'm passionate about teaching financial literacy so I can give back to our whole jujitsu community as a whole, because it's not about how much money you make, but it's how much money you keep that's going to make someone wealthy. Dude, thank you so much for your time. I know you're busy, dude, too get the time to uh, people get to know you, share your story. And I appreciate very much for all the listeners. Maybe uh, make sure to stick around for my final thoughts and anything else that you want to say to them? Any final message? Man, I'm, I just want to say thank you again to you and to everybody uh, that's listening 
for uh, giving me their time to listen to me, you know, because I'm just a regular dude that made a bunch of mistakes that's trying to get better and uh, influence this world and, you know, everything that I took, try to give back a little bit. I think it's time for that. And uh, I want to congratulate you on what you're doing again, man. And I'm glad we, we're in touch together and I know we're going to do some big things together and we're going to influence each other in the proper way. So I would say to the listeners, keep up to this. Uh, invite your friends to join in this because I know that, Gustavo is investing a lot of his time and money into this to give back to the community. So make sure you guys keep supporting that so we can support each other and we can always grow as a whole community as we always do in jiu-jitsu. We support each other. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mikey. And for the listeners, stick around for the final thoughts. Oos. All right, brother. Let me share with you my final thoughts from Mikey Gomez interview. It was interesting to hear Mikey sharing about a few topics that we have talked in previous podcast episodes, like his routine driven the same way Tim Crater shared on episode three with the morning rituals of successful entrepreneurs, or about personal responsibility, like Flavio Medo shared on episode four, and last but not least, the importance of being obsessed, the healthy obsession with your goal, like the Hall of Famer Bernardo Faria shared on episode six called Obsessed for Success. I'm not sure what your takeaway was, but mine was how to turn a negative situation into a positive situation, like the title of the podcast. How many times in your life were you able to turn a negative situation into a positive situation? If you stop to think about it and you look inside and reflect, most likely you did in different moments of your life. Mikey mentioned during his interview how he struggled with his asthma attacks. Countless sleepless nights wondered, am I going to make it? It feels like I'm dying. Due to his asthma, he developed claustrophobia. However, jiu-jitsu training helped him to deal with this phobia. Since he was a teenager, training with grown men, very often he would be smashed or put into tough positions, as you already know that happened in jiu-jitsu. And at the beginning, he would panic in these compromised positions. Then eventually, he started to think, man, if I can survive my asthma attacks, I can survive here. And eventually, he'll get tired and I'll find my way out. And he kept doing it and his confidence grew and he was able to transfer this thought process in different areas of his life. And he was able to turn the negative situation of dealing with the asthma and his phobia into a positive situation. And jiu-jitsu was the main tool that helped him to overcome that fear. And this is just one example of millions of stories of people turning negative situation into a positive one. It could have been a tournament that you lost or a job you got fired, a relationship that ended, or a health-related issue. Regardless of the severity of the situation or how long it took you to overcome this challenge, there are three crucial steps to shift your mindset completely. And I'm going to break down for you how you can start utilizing these three steps right away in your life. The first step is acceptance. He's in said and done, but when you accept that what happened to you was a fact, and this fact or event cannot be changed, only a response to the fact can be changed, you're taking the first step of acceptance. I'm going to share with you a quick minor example. On April 13th, 2018, I was training my academy, GD Jiu-Jitsu, in Tempe, Arizona for the Abu Dhabi World Pro Championship, and it was taking place in the UAE on April 27th, exactly two weeks away from the tournament. And we're doing single leg live training for those who are not familiar with this basically you defend a single leg attack and try to break away while your partner attempt to finish the takedown for about a minute and then when time's up switch positions and go again and you can make as many rounds as you want but during my last round 
I got taken down, bounced back up, and my partner shot a double leg with me. I was kind of sideways. So as soon as it took me down, I ended up hurting my foot as I was going down. And I turned my body like, ah, and ended up posting my right arm. And I dislocated bad, man. This was the third time, by the way, that I have dislocated my arm. At least this one was the first time in my right arm. But if you have injured yourself in jiu-jitsu or any other sport, you know how much it sucks, man. It's I, I was sad, disappointed at the hospital. But as soon as I left, I thought, you know what? This is the fact. I, I got injured. And the fact cannot be changed. Only my response to the fact can be changed. I won't be able to compete. I won't be able to train for a long time. What should I do with my extra time? That when the second step came in, which is taking responsibility for change. In this case, taking responsibility for changing this negative situation to a positive situation, which I did. I thought, you know what? I've been thinking about starting a podcast for a long time, and this is the perfect time to do it. So I signed up for a podcast course, bust my butt, and in 30 days, I had the very first episode of the BJJ Mental Coach podcast with the show you wrote, CEO Vince Kirugua. Now, let me ask you this. Did you turn any negative situation to a positive situation this year? I hope you did. But if some reason you haven't, I hope these final thoughts can inspire you to accept that the fact cannot be changed. And you, only you can make this shift. And it's not what happens to you. It's what you do about it. This is just a quick example of how you can shift your mindset in minor incidents like that. Or you can apply major ones, which is much more challenging and require a higher level of emotional resilience. But before I share with you the third step, I would like you to imagine a rough and tragic scenario. Imagine in your mid-20s, you're healthy, things are going well, and then you have a near-death experience. Suddenly, you suffer a tragic motorcycle accident that caused an explosion and burned 65% of your body. You accept the fact it would take full responsibility for changing, and in a few years later, you suffer another devastating accident and you injure your spinal cord, leaving you paralyzed from the waist down. Would you have the emotional resilience to accept the fact to take responsibility to change your mindset again? And you might ask, Gustavo, is there anyone that would have the emotional resilience to overcome that? And the answer is yes, and his name is W. Mitchell. As a young man, Mitchell served as a U.S. Marine, and at the time of his first injury, Mitchell was a grip man on a cable route in San Francisco. Also, he had just completed his first solo aircraft flight. And he was burned over 65% of his body on July 19, 1971, when a laundry truck turning front of the, his motorcycle, he was riding in San Francisco. His face and hands were like done. His fingers were like completely burning. He lost most of each of his 10 fingers. By the way, in 1971, if you were burned over 70% of your body, you were definitely dead. He later on won $500,000 settlement in a lawsuit against Honda because the gas cap on his bike was deemed faulty for having fallen off during the accident and caused the explosion. On November 11, 1975, he crashed on takeoff in a small aircraft he was piloting due to ice on the wings. And as he crashed, as soon as he crashed, the, his first thought was, oh my God, this is going to explode. And he's just thinking about explosion and just screaming to everyone, get out, get out of the plane. And he removed his seatbelt and then tried to get out, and he couldn't. He couldn't get up. 
he injured his spinal cord, but his other passengers escaped injury-free. But the NTSB, which is the National Transportation Safety Board investigation, indicated that the accident was due to his failure to detect the thin layer of ice on the wings during the, his pre-flight inspection. What would you do? Would you have the strength to accept the fact and take responsibility on changing and turning the negative situation to a positive situation again? Honestly, I really don't know if I would be able to do it, but he did. In 1977, he was elected mayor of a city in Colorado, eventually became a radio host and a motivational speaker who was inducted in the Hall of Fame of Public Speaking. As a matter of fact, that's how I heard about him, and I had the owner to meet him three years ago. I was at the NSA, the National Speakers Association Convention in Phoenix, Arizona, assisting my mentor, Joe Weldon, who is 76 years old in 2018, and he's also in the Hall of Fame of Public Speaking. During interviews, he was holding only with Hall of Fame speakers. And I had the privilege to be in the same room with my mentor, the cameraman, and him. And man, he blew me away. And as I share this with you, I, I literally have goosebumps and get me a little emotional because that's when I learned about the third step to shifting from the negative to a positive, which is be grateful for your life. We talked for a while after the interview, and he told me, yeah, send me an email. I'm going to send a copy of my book. It's not what happens to you. It's what you do about it, taking responsibility for change. To have an idea how amazing and inspired this guy is, the foreword of the book is written by the motivational speaker, Tony Robbins. If you're not familiar with him, the nation's top life and business strategist. And he said, W. Mitchell has refused to be overcome by two life-threatening and life-changing accidents, which, if given the power could have ruled his life to its end. Instead, he decided to make the tragedies that befell him a starting point. When he says, it's not what happens to you in life, it's what you do about it, you can be sure he is a living, breathing example of the message to us. He shared with me that an attitude of gratitude allows us to move forward positively in any situation. And gratitude shifts our focus from things we lack to what we already have. And in his book, he mentioned, before I was paralyzed, there were 10,000 things I could do. Now there are 9,000. I can either dwell on the 1,000 I've lost or focus on the 9,000 I have left. Now Mitchell is 73. He lives in Santa Barbara, California, and maintains a second home in Hawaii. Let me ask you this. What are you focusing on? Are you focused on what you've lost or what you have left? And how many things can you be thankful today? If you're going through a rough time in your life right now, I totally get it, man. But do the best you can with the tools and knowledge you have right now to accept the fact, to take responsibility for changing, and to be grateful so you can focus on what you have, not what you don't have. Oh, We're glad you were able to join us for this episode of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast. But the lesson doesn't end here. Watch the videos and download the audio of the 10 mental mistakes BJJ competitors make and how to avoid them for free when you subscribe to the BJJMentalCoach.com.
Don't miss the chance to find out what might be holding you back from being your best self on and off the mat. That's the BJJMentalCoach.com.